Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspiring North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh yeah, Artsville from Asheville. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Welcome to the Artsville podcast, where we celebrate American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville and beyond. This is your host, Scott Sourdough Power, and I am joined with my dear and faithful colleagues, Daryl Slayton and Louise Glickman. Hey, guys. How you doing? Oh, man, it's great to see you. How are you today? We're doing great. Artsville is just getting better and better and bigger and bigger. Thank you, Scott. Oh, thank you. It's a team effort. And we've we've accomplished a lot in a short time. And it's wonderful to hear all the positive feedback. I think people are really enjoying the show. Yes. Now that tourist season is creeping upon us, we're getting more and more people up here. Families will bring in friends and relatives. And so traffic is increasing down there. So there's it's starting to get a starting to become known, which is good. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, a lot of people may not realize that, of course, Artsville just isn't a podcast. Artsville is actually an exhibition space as well in Asheville, located at Marquis. And today's artist, Rona Polanski, is actually showing in the space right now with some of her work. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited to hear from Rona today. Well, I'll tell yes. you, like not real art... Over here on the East Coast, in Asheville, we are also committed to emerging artists. Rona is a very exciting one, and she has done very well at Artsville. And then we have two other guest artists also on ex- exhibition through the end of this month, April. Well, this is starting in May. We have three new ones. Right. Incredible. Incredible. Well, now, Rona... Now, you guys are going to have to help me because, you know, yes, she's an artist, but her medium is throwing clay. So I'm not sure if she's a potter or a ceramicist or like what (laughs) is she? Does she make ceramics? Does she make pottery? Like, what is the proper parlance here? I don't want to get in trouble. I'm sure she will tell us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there, are so, she, there are so many different disciplines. Well, she, uh, her work is beautiful, though. It's, um, it really, is uh, really, it really has cool. a lot of incredible amount of texture to it. And mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. I've been down at Marquee on weekends, it does get a lot of attention. And she's had some sales. So that's good. Rona likes to say that she does functional wear. So... Some vases, some plates, some beautiful pieces that you'd want to present with the gourmet cheeses and that kind of thing. It's quite something. Yeah, I love her work. There's such a richness to it, sort of a cultural richness. It has, it feels like it has, you know, so much heritage and legacy to it. You know, it's it's wonderful. I love it. So what do you think, guys? Should we get into this? Should we hear from Rona? Absolutely. Let's go. She's got quite a story. She's lived all over the world, and it certainly is reflected in her work. Indeed, indeed. All right, guys. Well, without further ado, let's hear from the one and only Rona Polotsky. 
Rona Polanski, welcome to the Artsville Podcast. Hi, Sourdough. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us today. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be staying home on a rainy day. Oh, is it raining in Asheville today? It's not raining right now, but it was pouring. Now that I've come out of my cavern of my studio, I realize that it's not so bad out there. So you were in the studio earlier. So do you what is your practice like in terms of going into the studio on a on a on a weekly daily basis? Are you in there sort of 9 to 5? Like how does that work for you? I'm definitely not down there 9 to 5, but I do try to get down there every day. There's always something calling me and saying that it needs some help. So I try to get down there and help it. <laughs> yes, the, the 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 your children are calling their mama. Yeah, they they need legs, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> well, and you know, and you have such a thriving practice. It's not just about, I mean, yes, you your work, your artwork, your pottery is in great demand, which of course implies that you have a business to run. You're running a, a small business there. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting concept. You know, it's not my strength. I was always a teacher, so trying to be an entrepreneur is not easy. I've been helped a lot by Louise at Artsville and the Sand Hill Artist Collective. I've been helped by other artists. I've been mentored by other artists from Asheville that have lived here for a long time. Sarah Rollins, who you've interviewed before, she's a great mentor to me. So it's really not my strength. But I actually today watched your show on creating a business plan that you did with a few people that was really interesting. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we produced a conference a couple of years ago and filmed all the talks and put them up there on the web for people to watch and learn uh, for free. So that's great that you saw that. Fantastic. Because it is a challenge. It's kind of my librarian self. I start getting snoopy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but it is a challenge for any working artist. It's the necessary evil, right, that we that we have to do our accounting, we have to pay our taxes, and we have to do these things if you really want to be, you know, a professional artist running a professional business. These are the necessary evils. <laughs> we all want to be making art. Yeah. And we have to make our websites and we have to make our business cards and we have to do all that. It just becomes part of it. But your journey is such an interesting one. And by the way, I should say, I think you are the second librarian that we've had on the on the Artsville podcast, uh, which is like an interesting trend. But, you know, with roots in education, roots in being a librarian, being a teacher and educator, and now sort of, you know, reinventing yourself as this, uh, you know, I'll call you an artist. I think you've referred to yourself as a maker which is an interesting part of the conversation I'd like to, to, to get into. And you have so many layers and in, in levels to your story and that personify themselves, you know, in your work. I mean, your work is so influenced by your life journey and your travels and your learnings over the years. Take us back to the beginning. I mean, how, how did you end up in education? And then give us the Cliff Notes version of your journey for our audience perspective here. Well, it's been a long journey. So, you know, years ago, I lived in Vermont. Vermont's such a creative place. By the way, I proposed to my wife in Vermont, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> see how it just brings out the creative self. <laughs> <laughs> so I and I was working at a food co-op and my husband was teaching and 
he went and did a workshop in Boston and he came home and he said, I met these teachers and they're working overseas. I think we should do this. So I went back to school. I became a teacher and we got married. And then right away we went overseas and we thought we gave somebody our two dogs thinking, oh, we'll be back in two years. Can you just take care of our dogs? And 35 years later, we were still overseas. <laughs> and, you know, teaching is an amazingly creative process, you know, and it just felt like even going from being a teacher to a librarian, being a librarian was very creative. And then I just got such an itch of like, I need to do something. I need to be creating. I need to be making. And I had an amazing maker space in my library. And maybe that's where the maker comes out in me. And I went and, oh, I actually went back into the library half time. And I started working with an artist when I was in Indonesia. And his name is Tegu Ortensnik. And he was trained in Germany as a painter. And I started doing life drawing, life drawing, life drawing until he said, okay, you can paint now. And I looked at that canvas, this white canvas. How intimidating is that? I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't put a mark on this. Where do I start? Where do I move to? You know, it just was. And he said, so I, I did like one painting. And then he said, this is creating a lot of anxiety, isn't it? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, here, here's a lump of clay. Sculpt. So I started sculpting. And I loved clay because it's so forgiving. You know, you make a mistake and you just bring it back into place or, you you know, it's just so workable. So it, I was very happy in that medium. I had found my my medium, but I was still teaching at the time. So that's kind of how I got into clay. Wow. So there was something about the clay, the, the forgiving nature of the clay resonated with you. And, and, and by the way, shout out to your teacher who had the awareness to be able to pick up on the energy that he was sensing from you. Because, you know, the last thing if you're making art, you don't want to be anxious or stressed out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's like, maybe this isn't for you. That's very intuitive. Yeah, he was great. And he even set me up with a, another teacher there who was a sculptor and she was amazing. Her name was Della Rosa Singa and she had a foundry. So I started creating pieces and actually having them made into iron, ones that I really liked. And it was very doable there. That was really exciting. And that was in Indonesia and in Jakarta? Where, where was that exactly? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was in Jakarta. Okay, okay. We spent 17 years in Jakarta, so yeah, long time. And, you know, the amazing thing about Jakarta that's so inspiring is that everybody in Jakarta is an artist. Everybody is a musician, or they can paint, or they can draw, or they, it's just so much a part of the culture. So it's a very easy place to get into the arts. Rona, I have to ask, uh, I'm jumping way ahead, but how many languages do you speak? English. Oh. <laughs> oh, good. Now I'm not so intimidated because I, I only speak one in one language, English, and not very well. <laughs> you know, my Bahasa Indonesian became okay. Like I could shop and talk to taxi drivers and, and it's an easy language. And my boys both became fluent because they basically grew up there. But 
I never became fluent enough to really read a newspaper. Well, so I'm not so good at English and I'm not so good at math, but basic, I'm trying to do the math here and the numbers. So you said you lived abroad 35 years. You said you were in Jakarta for about 17 years. So we're talking about a balance of, uh, you know, 15 years, 17 years, something like this. Where else did you live? So when we first went overseas, we went to India in 1985. And after India, we went to Israel and then we went to Indonesia we were doing countries that start with I. <laughs> so you have to have a logic of some kind. Yes. yes yeah. Yeah. Then my kids graduated and I w- we were empty nesters and we went to Ghana, mm. West Africa, and then we went to South Africa and then we went to Artsville. Artsville, indeed, indeed. And perhaps the most exotic of all the places, Artsville. Wow. So here, here is your journey around the world. You started making and throwing clay and making vessels and pots and objects, if you will, in Indonesia. And you found your medium. And so as you're traveling, you're, I'm guessing you're still throwing clay and making pots all around the world. Is that correct? Well, in Indonesia, it was interesting because I actually wasn't making pots or throwing pots. I was sculpting pieces. I was doing sculpture. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an important distinction. Thank you for that. Yeah. And that was something that I loved and I still have many of my sculptures. But when I eventually got to South Africa and I was looking for a foundry It just wasn't available, and I just wasn't willing to be a ceramic sculptor. I think it's so difficult to dig out your sculptures, and oh, wow, It's I really have to hand it to people who sculpture in clay. So, and I couldn't find a, I couldn't find the teacher that I really was happy with. I went to a sculpting class, and I felt like I was, it was very crowded, and it was very dark. And I felt like we were in a dungeon. So I just looked for something, a nice studio. And I found a beautiful pottery studio. And she said, well, you can sculpt here. You know, we have people who do sculpting. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start doing some pottery. Just something, I'm just going to change. So I started. That's so in South Africa, I started doing pottery. Amazing. So at some point you start doodling. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and I don't oh, yeah, know if I've that was that when you were life. three or 30, but doodling plays into this story of yours. And I, and I, and I'm just so fascinated by this because you at one point said, well, how can I combine my pottery and my sculpting with my passion for doodling? And somebody along the way introduces you to a technique that sort of looks like and sounds like graffiti, <laughs> but it's not graffiti in the in the conventional urban sense of, of New York subway trains or what have you. I'm looking at this word. I want to make sure I get it right. Segrafito? Like, how do you say this word? Graffito. Graffito. So the S is silent. Yeah. Because the S in the front is throwing me off. Or you could say scrafito, scrafito. Okay, okay, okay. Wow. So take us through that because when I that caught my eye, I was like, "Oh, Rona's a graffiti artist." <laughs> Another layer to this uh, incredible story. I wish. Well, as a teacher, you know, you go to a lot of meetings, staff meetings, and this meeting and that meeting, and teacher meetings, and. 
budget budget cut meetings, right? Like budget cut, budget cut. Yeah. Yeah. Budget cut <laughs> meetings. So I was always doodling in my margins of my notes that I would take to keep myself awake in my very important staff meetings. And they got more and more sophisticated. And then I started actually like just stopped with the margins and it just became whole pieces of paper. And, you know, I started looking at something called Zen Doodle, which was kind of a rage and learning different ways of doodling and, and just like, just, it was just fun. I don't know. It just, and it helped me concentrate. If I was in a meeting, I always felt like I was listening better when I was doodling. Fascinating. So I started filling books with these different doodles. And when I went to my pottery teacher in South Africa and I said, you know, I want to do this. And I had my book. I want to do this on pottery. Can I do this like doodling on pottery? And she said, oh, yeah, there's a number of different ways you could do that. So she taught me Scrafito and other methods. But Scrafito is what really took. So for a complete neophyte like me, can you explain the process in a way that's easy to understand uh, over a podcast? Sure. So you take a pot that's green, meaning that it hasn't been put in the kiln. It still has some moisture in it, but it's not like leather, leather hard. And you put something called underglaze, which is almost like a paint. It's not really a glaze. And I use black a lot. The color's black and white. My clay is white. I put a underglaze of black and then I take a tool that's very sharp and I scratch through it and make the doodles. Wow. I mean, I might even be able to do that. <laughs> or you make it sound really easy, right? That's fantastic. Very cool. Very so so would you say your doodles are on most of your work now? Is it has it really been integrated uh, across all of the the pieces that you make? Yeah, doodles are everywhere. Yeah. Well, and it's so fascinating because upon looking at your work, it seems to me that uh, you know, because I haven't, you know, haven't been to Ghana and I haven't been to Jakarta and I haven't been to Israel, sadly, or India. Man, I've, where have I been? I've been nowhere, um, apparently. But when I see your work, it at least you know, it seems like I'm really sensing the influence of these places in your approach to your work. Can you talk about how places like Ghana, Israel, Jakarta, how they, how still to this day they may influence the work you make? Well, I talked about Indonesia and how Indonesians are just so creative and so encouraging around creativity. And Ghana is the same way, you know, that people are, they make beautiful cloths that are just so amazing and batik. And so I always was around pieces of beauty. And I, I seek them out also. You know, wherever you go, you want to see what people are doing and creating. So I, you know, they make beautiful glass beads, beautiful woven baskets. So just like here in Artsville, it just feels like you always have this opportunity to go out and see beautiful things. And I think seeing beautiful things really influences what you do yourself. So... Of course, it influenced me in some way. Mm -hmm. Well, and so to the extent, though, that you are 
a storyteller. I mean, you all, well, you know, it's interesting because you know one could argue that you know as an educator, right? I mean, to be a good educator, you have to be a good storyteller, right? And and then one could maybe extend that to well, the best artists are great storytellers. You know, they're telling stories through their work. Talk, talk about the stories you're trying to tell with your work and how perhaps even doodling and your doodles using graffiti, graffitos. What story are you trying to tell? What what are some of the narratives? Yeah, I think there's a big narrative of surprise. I like surprises. You know, I don't think that I would have traveled as much as I did if I didn't like surprises. Every place you go, it's like a surprise. And every person you meet, it's a surprise. So when I start a vessel, it's like, wow, what's this going to be? I have an idea. But inevitably, it never comes out like my idea. It's a surprise. And sometimes I like the surprise and sometimes I don't. So (laughs) I could like see something and say, oh, I want to do something like that. And even though I have a visual of it, it still comes out so different. So I think that that's really part of my story of every piece. I know that Sarah Rollins on the podcast that you did with her said there's two types of ceramicists. When I was listening, she says, there's a person that makes the same thing over and over, like repetitive, repetitive, mugs, mugs, plates, plates. And then there's the one that nothing is ever the same. I'm the one who nothing's ever the same. And she said, for those people, it's more difficult to become a master. It takes longer. And yeah, I can I can see that. I'm still trying to get there. <laughs> Or you're just, uh, you know, a a jazz artist, right? Uh, Playing jazz. Uh, (laughs) I like that notion. Improvising, right? Improvising, exactly. Hey, you and you and Charlie Parker. Well, that that's super fascinating. And then with the doodling part, that comes. That's like, you know, I like now I've made this. I've created this surprise, this vessel, and I have to put something on it. And I used to when I started doodling, my pieces were much more complicated. There was a lot more going on. And I, for some reason, I don't know what it was. I just got more simple and simple. And I kind of gone to lines and circles and lines and circles, you know, and just very simple kinds of designs. And I really find that I'm liking it. Well, it, it, to me, as I sort of looked at your work, there's a timeless timelessness there that feels at times, dare I say, indigenous, primitive. And I mean that in the most beautiful way. And I, you know, and, and that's just my sort of critique or my sort of feeling about it. But but there is a raw, natural beauty to your aesthetic. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Yeah, well, it's true. It's true, Rona. <laughs> <laughs> so on your website, as I was reading and prepping for our chat today, I seem to recall uh, you sort of talking about you being perfect at the imperfect or something like this. What, what, what is that about? As a teacher, I think it was always a really important message to give kids that we're all imperfect mm. and to, you know, really be in a peaceful place with that imperfection. So I always feel that I have to give myself a break too as a, trying to do this new thing, being coming a, you know, I've been doing it for a number of years now, but nothing like Sarah Rollins or people that even other mentors of mine who have been do, working with clay for 30 years. So 
I know that I'm going to come across a lot of imperfections and it's humbling. There's a gallery here that I applied to and I got rejected. How humbling is that? So you really have to like go inside and say, okay, what do I need to change? What, how am I going to get better? And ask questions of other people who have done this for a long time. And then I applied again and got accepted. But it was it was a very interesting process for me. Now, in those in those rare moments, right, when you perhaps are not accepted into a gallery situation, do they give you notes or critique about, well, this isn't quite right or work on this? Or are you able to get constructive feedback so that you can improve your work? Yes, I definitely asked for some feedback of because I told them that I would apply again, you know, and I would like some feedback of what are the things that people didn't find that that they didn't like. So I got some feedback about my glaze and about where I was joining things and how I was joining things. And yeah, so I worked on it. Yeah, that's so important, right? To get that that constructive feedback, right? So that we can grow and improve our craft. And that's so not just important to get, but it's also important to sort of take with the right spirit, right? Because I feel like, you know, it's so personal, right? I mean, we, we're, we're sensitive beings and, you know, to get, to get rejected hurts. Yeah. And, you know, I know that that feedback is important because we know as teachers that children need a lot of feedback. That's one of the most important things for them to grow as students is to get feedback. So I'm always asking for feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you been in Asheville now? Just coming up on three years. So, right. So you moved there then just kind of before all heck broke loose with COVID. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, I tell you, I'm guessing, I'm not sure if, if Jakarta would have been better or worse, but it feels like you landed in a pretty good place to ride out the pandemic. Yeah, I was, you know, we, we, we left teaching to come to Asheville and I don't know, we were just so lucky to miss, just miss the pandemic. I think it's been so hard for teachers that I know. I came from South Africa was my last post that I worked in. And I think being in touch with the principal that I worked for, it was just really a difficult thing, especially when the Omicron hit there or the Delta, when whatever the one was that hit him first in, first in South Africa, you know, they were kind of doing okay. And then boom, they had 30 kids out the next day. So it's really been a devastating time for kids and teachers. Now, when you were living in Ghana, for example, you were making, were you not? In Ghana, I was not working with clay very much, but we had a great art teacher in our school who did a course for teachers. And the best thing was that she would always invite us into her art room and we could work in there and do whatever. She would have ideas, but then but then what we also did is we would find a batik artist in Ghana and we would visit their studio and they would show us how to do batik. What is batik? Batik is where you put wax on cloth so it becomes a resistance and then you make it the design with the wax and then you put the cloth in a dye. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then afterwards you take the, the wax off and you have the color that's underneath. So uh, batik in Ghana and in Indonesia was amazing. In Indonesia, they use something called a chanti, 
which is like a little place where you put the wax. It's a little metal tool and then you just touch it and a little very thin layer of wax comes out so they can make these very intricate designs that are incredible so as you're as you're learning these techniques and you're making objects and art and what have you are you selling your work uh, as well or are you are you giving it away are you collecting like when i guess more specifically when did you start selling your work the last school i worked at was in South Africa, as I said. And I was working as a librarian in the middle school. And at one point I got like, I need more time with doing art. And I knew my principal pretty well. And I went to him and I said, Andy, I need more time for art. I'd need one day, one day during the week. And I knew our school was, we were having some, like you said, financial problems. Mm, sorry so to I hear. Thought, well, maybe they'll give me a day off. You know, <laughs> you know they won't have to pay me. <laughs> and on Wednesdays were those teacher staff meetings. The kids would go home early when I was doing all my doodling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he gave me Wednesday. So he said, you can have Wednesday. It's a half day. So I was able to go into the pottery studio more often. And I wasn't selling, but it's where I started to do some selling. We would have like a show in our studio and we would sell. Or I was accepted into the semi-annual South African Ceramics Conference and was able to show my work there and sell it. So I, I was just playing with it there. It wasn't until I came here. You know, for a while, even here, I wasn't selling. I was just leaving it by people's mailboxes. You're like, you're like the, the pottery fairy or something, you know, <laughs> just gifting art to, uh, to your neighbors. I love it. Well, there's a man just up on our, the mountain behind me and he has this garden. So I just would leave some of my things in his garden. And it so ends up that his wife is a potter and she actually recognized my signature. And he, he wrote me an email saying, oh, I love you, the piece that you left in my garden. <laughs> so Here's some cucumbers. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I ask that question in part because kind of circling back to where we started a little bit with our chat in terms of artists becoming you know, entrepreneurs, business owners. You know, it's daunting on so many levels and pricing one's work is absolutely one of the most daunting aspects to, you know, selling your work. How do you approach it? And it's an iterative learning process, right? (laughs) You're constantly adjusting, whether it's for the market or inflation or whatever the case might be. But how do you approach pricing your work, Rona? With a lot of angst. Mm. It's really interesting, you know. I really never knew, I mean, I still don't know how artists price their work. So my teacher in Indonesia, he's a very well-known artist. I saw a piece of his work in the studio one day and I said, Tegu, I want to buy that. He says, it's already sold. I said, okay. So I forgot about it. Six months later, it's still there. So one day he says, are you still interested in this piece? And I said, yes. How much do you want for it? And he says, I need a computer. I said, okay, what's a computer going to cost you? And he said, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, that's how much the picture is. And he said, okay. So that like gave me this idea, like, okay, you know, some artists 
sell their pieces for what they need, right? And I think that's always a good thing. I am so blessed, sourdough. I need nothing. So it's so hard for me to put a price on my pieces. So it's very difficult. I've had a mentor, Diana Gillespie. She just lives like a football field away from me. And she's been a potter for 30 years. And she's been the my biggest help in working through this process of how do I price things? Yes. Yeah. It's such an interesting challenge because I guess if you're dealing in traditional consumer products, right? There's a, there's way, there's way more of a science to it than an art, but when you're trying to price art, there is an art, and a science, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, whether your material, whether you're tracking your material costs or whether you're tracking your time and then you, you know, assuming you've done that accurately and then you, you know, you have a markup because of course you want to have a little bit of a profit. It is a very stress inducing exercise for artists. And even for somebody, I mean, I can't even imagine for an artist who lives, I mean, I, I've been a teacher all my life. I've made my living being a teacher. I feel like it would be so, so difficult as an artist to make my living. I really, my hat goes off to artists in that way. I find it pretty amazing. And it's interesting because, you know, on a certain level, artists are now more empowered than ever, right? To monetize their work. Uh, You mentioned websites earlier, you know, and having a a website for your work and, you know, perhaps selling your work directly to consumers or collectors going, you know, totally avoiding, you know, the, the gallery system or what have you. And that on balance is incredibly empowering. And thank goodness we have those tools. But of course, those tools require that you know how to use them and work with them. And so many artists, of course, their happy place is making the art and all of that other stuff seems just like pain and suffering, the gnashing of teeth, <laughs> you know? So it, it is a challenge. We, we have these tools, but we, we have to learn how to use them. And, and that also can be stress inducing for so many artists. But yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. Thank goodness you have your mentor down the street. Yes, I I have my mentor and my husband who did my website. <laughs> <laughs> you married up or no, he married up, but yes, he, he at least is bringing something to the table, right? <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, one of the things, Rona, that you said earlier that I kind of want to go back to, again, I find fascinating as I talk to artists, is this idea of self-identification. What is the difference between an artist and a maker? Uh, what is the difference between a creative and a creator? When I was coming up, you know, you were an artist or not. Um, maybe, you know, there was lines and separations of labors between, say, you know, a designer was very different than an artist. Words like creator, creative, maker, like, I don't know that those words existed, you know, necessarily in the 70s and 80s. Maybe it did. But earlier you talked about, well, I'm a maker or I read it somewhere. You said, I'm a maker. I'm not an artist. Talk about that. Why, you know, when you do think of yourself, do you think of yourself as a maker first and an artist second? You know, you ask hard questions. <laughs> I got to earn my keep. <laughs> if I don't, if I don't, if I don't ask good questions, they'll fire me. <laughs> yeah, I, 
you know, I've always been a teacher. I've never had a hard time calling myself a teacher. I've never had a hard time calling myself a librarian. And maybe because I feel masterful at those things. I've done them for so long, you know. There's something about being an artist. I never went to art school. I mean, I don't think all artists have to go to art school, but I don't feel like I paid my dues yet. And as a, a librarian, we you know, we started these maker spaces in our libraries and kids would always come in and make and create. And I said, this is what I am. I'm a maker. I make stuff. And I like that label right now. It works for me. And, and you know, people always say, oh, Rona, people don't know what a maker is. And I said, that's okay. They can ask. <laughs> so it's just not a hat that I can fully put down on my head and say, I'm an artist. Well, that totally resonates with me because people have said to me over the years, you know, oh, you're an artist, you know, because I make things, I make podcasts, I make events, I make any number of, I've made products, I've launched, you know, I've done a lot, I've been very creative in my life. And so people will say, oh, you're an artist. I say, well, it turns out I'm very conservative when it comes to that word. I sort of, because I hold artists on a pedestal and it's like, okay, maybe an artist with a lowercase a, I I might accept that, but but an artist with a capital A, no way. I did not go to, I don't, I don't have my 10,000 hours. I don't, don't have a proper education, you know, but we all do have, I think deep down inside that little artist that's trying to make stuff and that's trying to express themselves. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing, right? We want to empower people to express their creative selves and these labels get, you know, we, we, we tend to get wrapped up in labels, but it's, it's so fascinating how artists in, in this case yourself, how we, you know, how you think about it and how we self-identify because we do want to pay our dues and we do want to be respectful to those who certainly have paid those dues and dedicated their lives to, their art, right? Yeah, I agree with you. I so think that I could be the artist with a little A. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you, but you live, but you live in Artsville. You live in Asheville, North Carolina, where you can meet an an artist on every corner, capital A, little A. uh, You live in a community of artists. What does that feel like? That must be incredibly inspiring. It's inspiring. It's humbling. It's something that's motivating. And you know what? People here are so willing to share what they know. I mean, I've taken classes from Sarah Rollins, and she's amazing. You know, like I really have learned a lot from her at the Village Potters. And just this woman down my road, we have within a football field, we have three ceramicists right here. I mean, like right on my block. Right. It's very competitive, uh, Rona. Very competitive. <laughs> no, I don't look at it like that at all. No, I no, I know. And that's like, the difference, right? With artists, because you don't think of it as competition, it's community. No, it's just like helpful. It's like somebody to go to, somebody to ask questions, somebody to, you know, like, what do you think of this? Mm, you know, mm. what, you know, all kinds of, you know, it's, I think it's amazing. And Louise said she met me at, our Kenilworth Artist Association walk. So there's like within my little neighborhood, there's like 30 artists. And in fact, Valerie Ho, one of the artists in here, she's the one who really, I feel like it was so interesting because she saw my things and she's been an artist her whole life. She's an artist with a capital A. 
And she saw my things and she said, I love your things. I'm going to my friend's gallery in Mars Hill, which is called Mars Landing. I'm going to take some of your things to her. I want her to see them. And she came and she took like a dozen of my things. And she came back and she says, she wants to put your things in her gallery. And it was like, I was so like, really? You know, so like people do those things. Somebody else took my things to a gallery. How amazing is that? That's so great. That's so great. You know, Rona, I'm a little scared, though, I have to admit, because if we're talking about labels and we're talking about words that describe you, one of those phrases or words might be rolling stone. I mean, you have proven yourself to be a rolling stone, you know, living and hanging your hat all over this planet in multiple countries over many years. I'm a little worried. Are you going to stick around in Asheville? Are you uh, are you there to stay for a while? Well, you know, it's interesting because when we moved here, we kind of were, you know, we lived overseas for so many years. We said, where are we going to go back when we go back to the States? I have a son who's settled in Detroit and I have a son in Boston, but that's too cold for me now. I've lived in the tropics. So I was like, okay, where are we going to go? And we never had been to Asheville and we just came in 2017 and we just bought a house like in a day and people said well how do you know if you're going to like it you've never lived there and I said well if I don't like it I'll just move I've moved a lot (laughs) so (laughs) not a big deal I'll just leave (laughs) it's not a big deal I can just move you know have you seen my passport (laughs) (laughs) so you know I'm still here Yes, yes. And, you know, it's been such a great place to land after being overseas. I feel like it's a special place. I love the outdoors. I love to hike. I like to bike. I love to look at art. It's so inspiring. People are so amazingly creative here. It's inspiring. Could you have ever imagined ending up in such a place? Actually, no. I didn't think it would be quite as lovely of a place that I would end up in the end of where I am now. Well, right. Because I mean, it's kind of hard to top some of the places, you know, you've lived. I mean, in terms of just being like cool and interesting and exotic and so not boring, where do you, you know, how, how do you, from South Africa to from Ghana to Jakarta to India to Israel, like North Carolina might seem a little, a little anticlimactic, but Asheville, however. (laughs) Yeah, I've been very blessed. And it's beautiful country. Oh, my God. It's so gorgeous there. Are you able to enjoy the outdoors? Oh, yes. So much. We just did a hike yesterday with my son when he was here visiting. Um, Yeah, we try to get out a lot. There's like amazing places like Bent Creek for riding your bike. That is just such a gift that these things are here. So we have to... Enjoy those gifts. Rona, so you're on the Artsville podcast. And part of the the beauty of being the Artsville podcast is that that means that you also are connected to the Artsville exhibition space at Marquee. So talk about that. Talk about showing your work at Marquee. So do I tell you the truth? <laughs> Lie to me. Everybody else does. <laughs> no, so... I went to the marquee as soon as they opened. It was even before I had an opportunity to think of being in there, before Louise and Daryl invited me. And I thought, 
oh my gosh, this place is so huge. And I was a little like, is this going to be a good thing or not a good thing? And I kept trying to make my, like, even after I got in, I still was, and I had my things in there, I still couldn't decide. I mean, it's a beautiful space. It's the man, I think his name is Robert, who did the space. He's a lighting person and he has these amazing, huge lights and chandeliers that are so cool. And it's bright and it's clean and it's lovely. And then I just, but I was thinking, what about all the other artists? Is it going to take people away? Is it going to be a one-stop shop? So just the other day I was there and I was walking through a gallery and we were on our way to the marquee. And I, I said to this woman, she, I said, can I use your back door to go to the marquee? And she said, oh yes, and look for my things. They're in the marquee. So she had a gallery right on the other side of the marquee and she was in the marquee. And I, so I said to her, what do you think of the marquee? Cause this is what I've been trying to collect. Like what artists are thinking about this. And she said, Oh, I think it is fantastic. I am so excited. I mean, I have my own studio here and my own gallery, but I love having my things in the marquee also. I think it's a great affordable place for artists to be. And she just went on and on. I was like, Oh, I was really glad to hear that because, you know, I did have my doubts. I was skeptical. So it's exciting. I will see. Well, but it makes it, I love that story because, you know, that also gets to sort of a business reality that, that artists need to come to terms with, which is like, how can I have my art in as many different places as possible? Even if it is just a hundred yards away, <laughs> you know, the mar marquee is going to be one of those destinations in Asheville that tourists will come again and again and again, and they may not make it to that studio or your studio across town or whatever. But if you're a marquee, as well as having your studio, the, the more touch points that you have out there in the world for people to, to see and buy your art, the better. Absolutely. So what pieces are on exhibition at our space in Marquis? So I work in terracotta, more of that terracotta, natural kind of color, red clay. And then I work with white clay. So I'm really feeling like I'm moving towards more the white and black lately, but with a dab of chartreuse <laughs> in spots. I just, I have a series downstairs right now of a few things that are a lot of chartreuse <laughs> that are really interesting. I'm ready to glaze them and see how they look. And some of the other things that are in the marquee are, well, I, the one useful thing that I do make <laughs> are platters. I have some of those there and then other fun vessels. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, there's, you've, you've sort of touched on a couple of things, I, and I have to admit, I've never really thought about the different kinds of clay. The fact that that there's a white clay, like, I'm sorry, I just have never thought that, oh, yeah, there's white clay. I guess I thought that the clay was, was always gray or red and you just painted it white. But, I mean, how many different kinds of clay are there? Oh, there's so many different <laughs> kinds of clay. And then people dig their own wild clay and... It's one of those, like so many things, it's one of those endeavors where the more you know, the more you know you don't know. There's just so much to learn. 
and so much to absorb. And so many people that know those things here, you know, they know how to wood fire, they know how to pit fire, they know how to raccoon fire, they know how to gas fire, they know how to electric fire, they know high fire, low fire. I mean, it just goes on and on. <laughs> no fire. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, I'll tell you what, Rona, you have been, you're on fire, uh, Rona. Uh, talk about fire. You've got the fire, my friend. I am so grateful that uh, we have had our time together today to chat about all the things that we're passionate about, namely art. In this case, your art. I'm going to call it art. You can call it product or, or objects or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it art. And we've talked about our mutual love for Artsville and Asheville and the human experience. And you have, as a teacher, as always, you, you clearly don't stop teaching because you've taught me a lot today. Rona Polanski, thank you so much for coming on Artsville. Thank you, Sourdough. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Will you make me a promise and come back? Sure. I don't know if I'll have anything else to say, but... <laughs> My money's on you, Rona. My money's on you. Well, get back to the studio and make some more art. I will. I have to finish the piece that's down there right now. It's calling to you. That's your baby calling, calling you back. Come, come finish me. (laughs) Thank you, Rona. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Artsville podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review and share it with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Artsville is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles in partnership with Sand Hill Artist Collective in Asheville, North Carolina. Our theme music was created by Dan Ubik and his team at Danube Productions. Artsville is edited by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Artsville. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville and beyond. Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspiring North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh, 